0: What is the worst thing you've ever done? Maybe not the happiest place to start a sermon, but I wonder what it would be. Maybe it's something you find it really difficult to say out loud. You wouldn't want to share it with the person next to you. Something you find difficult to be honest with yourself about. Difficult to be honest with God about. What is the worst thing you've ever done? How do you handle that? How are you dealing with that? Well, today, the story of Peter. That's what we're going to be looking at it's the story of a man who well, It's the story of when he he really did the worst thing that he ever did he really did scrape the bottom of the barrel of his life he really did make a mess of things here but how did he get there i mean Peter's supposed to be is a legend of the church peter's a man big chested manly man who was always full of confidence he was the first one to twig that Jesus was who he was that he was the son of god that he's the christ the messiah the one promised to come and fix the world to make everything sad come untrue peter's the first one to realize that and to say it out loud so how does he get from those heights to to denying that he even knows jesus can i read you the story this is the story of the worst thing peter ever did jesus has been arrested in luke 22 Um, And we're going to read from verse 54. He's been arrested. Peter's taken his sword out and cut off somebody's ear. But then everybody scatters and Jesus is taken away. Luke 22, verse 54. Seizing him, seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him but he denied it woman i don't know i don't know him he said a little later someone else saw him and said you also are one of them man i'm not peter replied about an hour later another asserted certainly this fellow was with him for he's a galilean that's where they were from up in the north they recognized peter and recognized uh, he's somebody who's been with Jesus, but Peter replies, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the cockle crows. The Lord turned round and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the cock crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. I wonder if any of that chimes with you. I wonder if you are somebody who maybe you've been here over the last few weeks, couple of months as we've been thinking about discipleship, been thinking about how Jesus takes us, makes us his people, washes us clean, welcomes us into his family and then sends us out, sends us out to share the good news of, of his death and resurrection of life in him, of, of his family with the whole of the world. Maybe you've been hearing sermons on that and thinking I've made a real mess of this. I am not a good disciple. Maybe you were here last week when Chris opened up a bit of Revelation, that letter where the church is described as being lukewarm, not hot, not cold. And you thought, yeah, I'm lukewarm. This whole pandemic time has really worn me down spiritually and I I'm I'm not on fire for Jesus. I'm lukewarm. I'm at risk of being spat out. Maybe you look at yourself and, and you weep sometimes and you don't know how you got into this place. Maybe you feel spiritually arthritic. I know some of you struggle with that physically and it's a really hard thing isn't it when the synovial fluid, the fluid that's in our joints and around our ligaments, seems to drain away for some reason and movement just becomes difficult and stiff and brittle and painful and I wonder if your Christian life feels like that. It used to be full of joy and full of of juice (laughs) and now it just feels dry and painful and slow and brittle. Do you feel like that? Like the joy is gone. Like those early days seem far, far away and, and you just want to cry sometimes. Your life feels dark and you wonder, is there any way back? Well, if you can relate to that, then this is a story for you. It's a beautiful story for you and for me and for, for any Christian who makes a mess of their life. And isn't that all of us? I mean, think about it for a second. It's a, it's a story of hope. It's a depressing place to start the sermon, but but really it is a story of hope. It's a story of restoration. We're going to read in a little bit the story at the end of John's gospel, where Jesus comes and restores Peter. There's hints of it already in this story. We'll see those in a moment. But think, of, think for a second. Why is this story even in the Bible? I mean, Peter became one of the great leaders of the early church, one of the big cheeses, one of the most important people. So how on earth would... This story, make it into scripture. If you'd made it up, if Christianity was all invented, you would never put this in, would you? It's stories of failures like this that are one really good, strong piece of evidence that these stories are really true. That the leaders of the early church didn't airbrush themselves, didn't tip X out the awkward bits, but put it all in. The leaders of the early church, the men with the power said, I want you to tell the truth about these stories. And the truth is I messed up. But Jesus fixed me up. Because that's the end of the story. This is in here as an encouragement to us that Peter, the great leader of the church, made such a deep mess of his life, but that Jesus brought him back again. After his death and resurrection, Jesus came to Peter, looked him in the eye and said, you're restored. I have a job for you to do. Do you love me, Peter? Peter says, yes, I love you. And Jesus says, you have a place. So if you feel like you don't have a place, if you feel like there's no way back, if you feel like you're lukewarm and how can I ever be on fire for Jesus? How could he ever welcome me back again? This is the story for you. The story of Peter, maybe you're not a Christian and you're around the edges thinking, well, I'm just, I've made too much of a mess. I'm not good enough. He would never want me. I could never be a a Christian. I'm just not good enough. Well, this is the story for you. Christians are broken people. Christians are people, not just who used to be broken and are kind of a a, bit better now. No, Christians are broken today. Christians make really big failures, messes, darkness, sins in their lives. But Jesus forgives us. It's not just that we have to start over, you know, once again at the beginning and then carry on and try and be better. No, the story of of every Christian's life is a story of failures and of restorations, of Jesus' arms open wide to welcome us back in. So this is the story for all of us, isn't it? Let's get into it together and ask the question, how on earth did Peter get into this situation? The guy who was the leader, the one who saw who Jesus really was, the first one to twig, how does he get from that to this? Well, J.C. Ryle, he wrote a really helpful book on all of the Gospels, kind of verse by verse, working through them, pulling out practical lessons. He says there are five things to spot in this story, five little gradual steps. Little things that you might or not even realise are that bad or think are particularly serious, and they're not. They're small little steps that lead Peter down a real slippery slope to making a big mistake, a big error. Five things. See if you can spot them. First is arrogance. Peter was a man who was really self-reliant, who was full of pride, who, who was physically strong. He was an imposing character. He always had words to say. He was always chirping up, always trying to lead the group, always at the front, at the top of the tree, but he was proud. And his pride leads him to prayerlessness. He makes this proud statement earlier on in the chapter, says, Jesus, I am never gonna leave you. I will go with you. Chapter 22, verse 33, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. He's always making those kind of pronouncements. But then a few minutes later that evening, Jesus asks them to pray, to support him because he's facing what he's gonna have to face. And it's horrible. And Peter doesn't pray, he falls asleep. You see, he's proud and he's prayerless, but he's also indecisive. When Jesus gets um, arrested, Peter pulls his sword out and he's hacking about cutting people's ears off one minute. And then he's running away the next, hanging out at a distance. He's indecisive. He's not in there with Jesus, standing with him in his trial, and he's not back with the disciples. He's indecisive. He's kind of not sure whether to go or whether to stay. He, yeah, he's indecisive. Number four, he keeps bad company. He's not with the disciples encouraging and praying for Jesus. He's not with Jesus at his side. He's with these other randomers who don't know Jesus, who aren't following him, who, who knows what kind of things they're talking about. He's keeping bad company. And then eventually you see step by step by step. Doesn't seem that bad so far, but all of a sudden he's overwhelmed. Step number five, he's overwhelmed with fear. A little servant girl recognises him in the firelight. Imagine a cold spring evening. They've set a fire going and the firelight flickers on Peter's face and she recognises him. Yeah, I I reckon I've seen you, you with Jesus. And Peter says, no. And then somebody else says, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you. You've been with Jesus. And he says, no. Yeah, you're a Galilean. You're one of those outsiders from up north that's what Jesus was. So you must know him. You must have been with him. That's why you're here. And he says, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Three times he denies it. Three times he's overwhelmed with fear. The fear of wanting to fit in. The fear of not wanting to be out in the cold, literally. You see that? He wants to be around the fire, not just for his body to be warm, but so that he'd be with these other people. You ever felt that temptation over the last couple of months, the last couple of days to fit in? In our culture, to be around the warming fires where you belong, where you're not some weird outsider Christian, but where you fit in. I wonder if that's led you to do things, to say things that have denied Jesus is your Lord. I wonder if you felt like Peter felt when the cockerel crows and he realises what he's done. Where Jesus looks across the courtyard, meets his eyes, He realizes what he's done, and it's too late. He runs away, weeping bitterly, too late to escape from the darkest thing that he ever did. Do you see those steps? I wonder if you can see those in your life, just little things, saying, I'll pray tomorrow. It doesn't matter, I can handle this on myself. That doesn't quite matter who who my friends are. I know I'll, I'll decide tomorrow. I wonder if you can see those little steps are things that can lead us down a road to real darkness. I bet each one of us knows exactly what that's like. Well, Peter is in a pretty dark place, isn't it? But how on earth is he going to get out? That's how he got into it. Little small steps. But how does he get out? Well, he gets out through the infinite mercy of Jesus. The infinite mercy of Jesus. Where do you see that? It's in the glance, isn't it? Jesus doesn't walk past him and, and say, it's finished. It's over. You're outside, Peter. Too late. No way back. No, Peter looks at him. And it must have been, I think it must have been a look of sorrowful love. Where Jesus looks and knows exactly what Peter has done because he knew what he would do. He prophesied it just a few verses before. Chapter 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat to test you. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back strengthen your brothers. You see, Jesus knows. Jesus has been praying for him that he'd be kept, praying for him that he would come back and knows that he is going to come back. It's because of Jesus's infinite mercy that there's any way back for Peter. You see, he's not forgotten. He's not pushed outside. He's not denied by Jesus. No, it's the love of Christ. It's this well of love that has no bottom to it that calls to Peter and says, Peter, weep. And be distraught. What you've done is is really messed up. But don't despair. There is a way back home. You see, nobody needs to despair. Whatever you've done, whatever's happened, whatever darkness that is that you can barely even bring yourself to admit. We should trust Jesus' love for us. It really is a well. You can never get to the bottom of it. So while Peter is in floods of tears, one day soon he'll be restored. Can I read you Uh, a few weeks later? Acts chapter 4. And Peter is standing in another crowd, this time it's not servants in darkness, it's out in broad daylight among the Sanhedrin, this ruling council, the most important people in all of Israel. And Peter, Peter says something very different, he doesn't deny Jesus, this time when people tell him to shut up about Jesus, to stop talking about him, this is what he says. He says, we can't help but speak about everything we've seen and heard, I'm not going to be quiet, I'm not going to deny him anymore, I'm going to tell everybody, I'm going to tell the world about Jesus. You see, Peter was restored. Weeping lasts through the night, but joy comes in the morning. So what happened to Peter? What happened to bring him from somebody who who couldn't admit to a servant girl that he knew Jesus? What brought him from that to being somebody who was courageous and stood in front of the world and said, I I don't just know him. He's my saviour and he can be your saviour too. I don't just love him. He died for me. He's risen again. He's the king of the world and you're king and you can know him. And he, he loves you. He wants to forgive you. What gave him that kind of confidence? Maybe it was that he'd followed Bishop Ryle's five um, spiritual steps to victory. And, you know, he just tried harder to pray more, to get some good friends, to make decisions and be really, really serious about it this time. Well, no, I don't think that's what had changed Peter, because that doesn't change anybody. Has ever worked for you? Hasn't worked for me. Just trying harder. No, something much, much, much more profound, world-changing had happened. And it had changed Peter. Do you know what happened? Jesus had died and then risen again. That's what happens between Peter's denial and Peter's, Peter's courage. Peter's public preaching of Jesus. That's what happens in the middle. Jesus dies and rises again. Jesus... The next day after this, looking Peter in the eyes, he had, he'd said, I know what you're going to do. And I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and die for you. Sometime later, Peter writes a letter. This is what he says about Jesus's death. He says, Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. You see that he bore our sins so that the old me could die And that I could live. By his wounds, you've been healed. For you, like sheep were going astray, and me too, I went astray, Peter says. But now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. See, Peter knows who Jesus is. Peter knows what Jesus has done, that he did all those five things that Peter could never do. That Peter messed up, Jesus puts them in reverse. Think of it. Jesus takes J.C. Ryle's five things and puts them in reverse. Jesus was not arrogant, he was humble. He always trusted his father, not in his own strength, but trusted his father. He was prayerful, spent so much time in early in the morning out on hillsides, praying, bringing God into his situation and bringing his situations to God. He was prayerful. He was decisive. He set his face towards Jerusalem, knew exactly what he had to do to save the world and went and did it. He was decisive. He kept, well, he did keep bad company, didn't he? But what did he do to that bad company? Instead of it dragging him down to to make him sin, he lifted us up. In that moment when he's on the cross, in the worst of company, being crucified, being mocked by people, what does he do? He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He doesn't push them outside. He doesn't deny them. He doesn't curse them. He welcomes them. He brings them in prayer before his father and says, Lord, may my death count for them. Would you rescue and forgive and save even these people? That's what he does with bad company and then he isn't overwhelmed with fear. He seems to be in the garden, but he pushes through it, goes to the cross, puts his life into the hands of his father and says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit and then he dies for us, is wounded to heal us, goes outside so that we can come in, dies in darkness so that we can come into the light. He's out in the cold dying. His body goes cold so that our bodies can live again. You see, that's what happened to Peter. He was born again. He had new life in his bones. And he saw Jesus, not just on the cross, knowing that he died for him, but he saw him alive again and knew that, that a new day had come. Can I read you the story of what happened when Peter met Jesus after his resurrection? They're having breakfast around the fire again. And Peter is asked three questions. It's the end of John's gospel, if you want to look it up. John chapter 21, verse 15. When they'd finished eating around the fire, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Listen to three questions that Peter, um, that Jesus asks to Peter. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, he, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because of what Jesus, of Jesus asking him a third time. Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Do you see how Jesus restores him? How he died for him to wash his sins, but then living again doesn't, doesn't, push peter to the edges you know, he looks at him and, and he restores him personally restores him painfully it really stings peter doesn't doesn't it to have those questions asked three times but he restores him profitably personally painfully profitably have a look and see if you can see those three things personal jesus is bringing peter's memory back to that night when he'd had three other questions and he said no no i don't know him no it's not me no i don't know jesus And now three other questions around the campfire. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? You know that I love you. It's a personal thing. He uses his first name Simon, his original name, instead of Peter, which meant rock. And and so I think Jesus is saying to, to, to Peter, you've crumbled, haven't you? Peter, you're supposed to be the rock. You're supposed to be the hard man, the big man, the tough guy. But you crumbled, didn't you? Let me put you back together again. Let me lift you up. Let me set your feet on me as your rock. And so he restores him personally, but it is painful, isn't it? He's really rubbing on the sore spot in Peter's life that, that his life hasn't shown. This is what really hurts Peter, that his life hasn't shown that he loves Jesus. That he wants to, that he knows that he does, that he wants to love him. But he knows his life has shown the opposite. And so it stings when Jesus asks him the question, but you see, Jesus' love for us, his renewal, his lifting us up, doesn't rely on our doing good stuff. Doesn't rely on our living lives that love him. It relies on his love for us, poured into our hearts. That's what Jesus is doing for Peter. And it's a, a, pay, a personal, a painful restoration, but it's also a profitable one, isn't it? He gives them a job to do. Did you see that three times? Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. That's talking about Christians, about people who Peter would lead. He, they, he would have a job to do, to go and find those people who are weak, just like Peter had been weak, who were struggling just like Peter had been struggling, who were little sheep, helpless, struggling, pushed to and fro, drawn towards the fires of this culture, to drawn towards denying Jesus. And he was saying, Peter, no, 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 you've got to find them, bring them back, rescue them, lift them up, feed them. Feed them with me, that they would know the forgiveness that you have known. Go and read Peter's letter, 1 Peter, and you'll hear him say, towards the end of it, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Peter had known that care, and now he was feeding Jesus to the people. In that letter, to them, and today to me and you. Does Peter's story encourage you? Does it show you, I hope it does, that whatever you do, whatever has happened, whatever you've done, however dark it's got, however dark it is right now, humble yourself, admit it to him. Lord, I've made a mess. I want to love you, but my life hasn't shown it. Would you forgive me? I want to be useful to you, but I've been the opposite. Would you bring me back? I want to be on fire for you, but I'm just feeling so lukewarm. Would you warm me up? Would you draw my eyes to see how good you are? how big you are. Let's cast all of our anxieties, all of our guilt, all of our struggles, all of our darkness, all of our shadows, cast them on him. You know, he really does care for you. And just like he restored Peter, well, he'll restore you. Just like he welcomed Peter, he will welcome you. Are we a church, I wonder, that welcomes people like that? Not just people who haven't known Jesus before who want to come and be forgiven for the first time. I think we're pretty good at that. But what about each other? Are we a church where it's safe to admit that we've really made a mess? Where even the most prominent leaders among us can say, I've made a proper mess of this. My life is really dark. I've denied Jesus. Would you forgive me? Would you restore me? Would you bring me back? Would you trust me again? Would you help me to be useful in his kingdom? Come on, let's pray and ask this Jesus to do this same thing he did for Peter back then. Do it for us again today. Lord, we thank you so much that you are this kind of God, this kind of God who knows the mistakes, the errors, the sins, the darkness that we're gonna that we're going to do. You know it before we even do it. And yet you still went to the cross and died for us. You still went and rose again to come and look us in the eye to ask, Do you love me? And then to pour your love into our hearts so that we can say, Yes, we do love you, and we want to be useful to you. Lord, we do today. We want to be people who who don't make a mess, but Lord, we so often do. So we want to be people who are welcomed back home, who are restored, renewed, put back together again, lifted up from the dust so that we can be rocks again and be useful to you, feed each other, go and find those who are in the dust and raise them up again. Lord, we want to be a church full of people who who love like you love. We want to be people whose hearts are full of you. We ask that you would answer that prayer today. Lord, that you would help us to turn to you and that as we turn to you, you would make us useful in your kingdom. Amen.